Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Never Strays Far is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. Visit theroadbook.co.uk for our latest special offer to kickstart your collection. The final few first editions of the 2018 and 19 volumes are now available for a bundle price of just £55. That's four kilos of book, virtually at half price. And Chapter 3, the brand I created, founded in 2015, and it's uh, something that I've uh, always wanted to do, is bring to cycling a, a more creative individual style that isn't just based on one discipline, but multi-disciplines. And we're on the journey, and I hope you'll join us. Go to chapter3.com and see what we've got. Uh, there are lots of stories, there's products, there's uh, everything we hope that will help you find your next chapter in cycling. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been far too long. The last one we did, my dad reminded me. Who, who knew that, David? My dad listens to Never Strays Far. <laughs> That's amazing. We've the, made it. He said to me the other day, I can't, completely out of the blue, he said, um, where's number 22 or something like that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what, literally, what are you talking That's about? He brilliant. goes, where's number 22? And I don't know whether that was the right number or something. And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, Never Strays Far. <laughs> Okay, um, and he said, because the last one was great. It was all about books. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I've most ever listened. I was looking this morning. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, that's interesting. I quite, I quite enjoyed that, but it feels like a lifetime ago. That was like, David, yeah, that, that was like in the really deep, dark days of lockdown, wasn't it? That feels like a, uh, yeah. a different time. That's, together. Mm-hmm. And now we're back into uh, the racing world. And that's the reason why we're, we're rebooting. So we'll do this one. And hopefully, David, as I'll go on to explain, maybe we can do a couple more over the coming sort of week, actually. Because um, yep, definitely. Oh, the races are happening so thick and fast now. And I am, I've broken free, mate. I've literally broke. Yeah, I can, I can see because we're doing a video link as well. I can see you're still stuck in your, <laughs> in your desk, in my office, in your office with the same books behind and everything. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've, I've uh, broken free, and I, I'm talking to you from the beautiful city of Siena, um, uh, where, uh, where Stradivianchi finished yesterday. I've just been out for a run um, before it gets stinking hot again. Is it still? Is it ridiculously hot in Girona, David? Yeah, it just kicked off a couple of days ago, actually. We've been so lucky in the sense that normally, uh, we're not here in July, obviously, because I'm doing the Tour de France yeah. and my wife goes to England with the kids. So we, we generally skip the heat. But this year, during this last month, it's actually been okay. And then as of two days, it's kicked in. Yeah. It's probably like you had in Siena yesterday, 38 degrees. Yeah. And it's oppressive now. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're back into full Spanish summer and you forget just it's not actually very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Really humid and kind of like almost unbearable. Um, I, I was actually wondering, well, we'll come on to it, but, but I, I was wondering whether the, <laughs> despite all the con- concerns about coronavirus and COVID and getting this race on, at all i was wondering whether it might be affected by the extreme weather protocol at one point but then i i, I mean you know that's the last thing you need but um but then it's so true yeah yeah 
But then I, I thought about I that. I think I think I'm right in saying that actually the temperature has to exceed forty degrees because <laughs> you know thirty yeah, thirty nine yeah. is fine, but forty exactly 40 is where yeah. it kind of kicks off. If, yeah, I hadn't even considered that. I, that's going to be really interesting to watch. See how willing the, the peloton is to bend their own rules just in order to be able to race yeah, now. Yeah, you know, everyone's so fresh <laughs> and needs this and wants this that everyone's just going to be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> it's, fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, listen. Did you watch either of the two bicycle races yesterday in Tuscany? Uh, I'll be honest. I tried my very hardest and. Uh, it, didn't work as eventually I did manage to, to to get I watched the end of the women's race and a little bit of the thing but then they were complaining the commentary team that there had been no footage of Van <laughs> coming through uh, the kind of the final bit Van Vliet worked for this huge chase but they hadn't actually got any of it yeah and I was like yeah. oh, well it's, missed, it, it is yeah. true so so so, to, you know, at the business end of the women's race, which is, again, is really good. And it was a mind-blowing performance mm. from Van Vluten. Um, you had this wonderful solo attack from another veteran rider, Mavi Garcia, um, from the Ali BTC Ljubljana team. And um, she looked good, you know. She had a three-minute, nearly four-minute lead with 25 to go or something like that over a chase group with representatives, none of, none of the key players, but all the big teams represented with, like, their second lieutenants sort of thing group of about five or six riders and they weren't working together at all um only ellen van dyke from trek segafredo was kind of you know putting her nose in the window too and she was frustrated kept attacking that group and basically that group was getting nowhere and amanda spratt from mitchelton scott the aussie national champion van vluten's teammates was just kind of surfing the wheels and not 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 riding at all and um and and at that point it looked like garcia had the race then suddenly um uh, it cut back to this group through the dust and the motos were having a nightmare with the dust just like the riders were. And I kind of like picked out this whitish jersey that I hadn't recognised before and I thought, hang on, are those rainbow bands? <laughs> so suddenly, uh, Annemiek van Vluten had um, teleported herself into this, this second group on the road, having previously been in what remained of the, of the peloton who were another one minute 30 back. So she had somehow attacked that group and ridden across... Uh, a one minute 30 gap and uh, just appeared in this group where she joined forces with Amanda Spratt who then got on the front and all of a sudden the race has changed you know kind of rebooted completely Spratt then only lasted a couple of kilometers and um, dropped away and Van Vluten went all right well I'll just better go then three minutes it was you know she had to get across another three minutes to to Mavi Garcia and of course she did you know just on the outskirts of Siena she drew close to her and then it was just a matter of when she was going to pick her off and she waited and waited yeah, and waited nice. and it's uh, via Santa Catarina you know that very steep straight mm-hmm. straight road that you've you've raced up into just on just before you turn right and then right again to to get into the Piazza del Campo mm-hmm. um that's where she finally left uh, the the wonderful Garcia for dead yeah, I mean, Garcia only finished two seconds behind, though. I mean, it's which Van Vluten, it was, it, granted, Van Vluten's a little bit tired, <laughs> but it's still, that's, uh, Garcia is very impressive because she's a, a, a new generation, if you like, in, in many ways, or just kind of, she seems to, haven't seen much of her, then all of a sudden she's pulling out this ride. But what I, I saw and I listened to in the post-race uh, interview was Van Vluten, which was really interesting because she's this the, she's got a hundred percent win record so far. Hasn't Absolutely, she, since yeah, the, uh, yeah. Which uh, five out of five big races, yeah. and uh, 
and everyone was saying, well, it was so hot and hard out there. And she said, well, I've switched my mentality. If it's hard, I say it's good for me and it's easy for me. Absolutely. And so I was like, oh, that's an awesome thing to say. It was like, instead of going, oh, this is, I was really, she was like, no, I switched my mentality now. When it's really hard, I think it's really good for me. I noticed, I'm really glad yeah. you picked up on that because I had exactly yeah. the same thought listening yeah. to her. I thought that was so honest yeah. and um, clever and you know just mm. yeah and uh, absolutely but i think actually so you mm. talk about the you know um she's raced five won five in 2020 including mm. um omloop head newsblad before lockdown mm-hmm. um and then that trio of uh, one day races in, in the north of spain and the and the basque country and then strada bianchi for the second year in a row but actually her her string of successes um if you include the winter break goes back to the world road race championship so her last six races have been uh, started yeah. six one six yeah <laughs> it's 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 incredible yeah i mean it's uh yeah she's doing a, a proper world champions kind of role which you don't see happen very often because uh so they have the curse of the rainbow jersey normally due to the fact that people slacken off after they win it clearly she's done the opposite yeah uh, she, well she trains i mean she trains with the, the men's team very often doesn't she mitchelton scott mm. didn't cav cav posted on instagram didn't he a couple a few weeks ago a shot of yeah. i think they were climbing they were, they were I can't remember who he was riding with, but they were climbing in Italy somewhere and Amanda Spratt and Van Vluten just shot past them. And I think Cav tried to hold hold her wheel and just couldn't. <laughs> and and just posted posted this distant <laughs> shot of Van Vluten just yeah. riding away from him on this climb. That's um, awesome. But uh, you know, she's uh, she's yeah. phenomenal. But I I do I do kind of as much as you have to absolutely respect the way she's blossoming. I mean she'll be thirty eight next year. Um you yeah. you do you do kind of worry a little bit for the for the women's racing scene. Her dominance is is both a good thing and a bad thing, isn't well, it? You, you know what? I mean, I, I don't. The thing is, as well, women are different to men, and it's being shown over and over again that in endurance sports they get better, much better as they as they get. I mean, older. She's still not old, if you like, in real world terms. But we see these records being broken in other endurance sports, running with women in their forties, and there's no reason why cycling isn't actually a hyper endurance well it is an ultra endurance sport and women i think it's it is it's shown and proven over and over again that they get stronger and stronger uh, much uh, much later than men do men start to peak out and start coming down mid 30s generally whereas women start to seem to sort of start to peak out around 35 if they've still got their the kind of mental wherewithal to put all the work in which is normally what drops off i don't think there's any reason why she can't be pushing on for another five years that's really interesting i hadn't thought about it like that very i wonder if there's a some evidence to back that up it's a, it's a, re- it's a really interesting point mm. the different physiologies mm. no I, but my point was rather more about her dominance you know because i think that the, yeah. the mariana voss years where Voss was equally dominant mm. in, in, across a wider range of courses, pro- yeah. possibly arguably held women's cycling back to some extent mm. because it kind of froze the opposition slightly. And I wonder whether Van Vluten's dominance, if it carries on for the next couple of years, might not be the, the, the ideal thing. Because I was quite enjoying how evenly mm. spread the victories were um, mm. in previous years. I, I I wonder if that's that's also been a, a phenomenon we've seen. I mean, it happens in men's sport as well. Of course. If everyone got bored of Miguel Indre and Lance Armstrong, even Sagan up to the point, you're, uh, although you've managed to end that <laughs> by putting the, putting the bolting curse on him. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's more prevalent in women's racing, and I'm not sure why, um, but we often see quite generational riders who just dominate for for a generation almost yeah uh, now that generation is going as well if we look back to the 1980s and 90s jenny longo did it for 15 years 
you know so it's yeah it's at least it's not as bad as it was back then and that's i guess a credit to the the greater depth in the women's peloton now but it's it, i'm not sure the explanation for that but i think again it's just the difference between men's and women's racing once you get a dominant figure in women's racing they are going to have a pretty long run uh, until the next woman comes along yeah uh, she's an outlier. I mean, yeah. she really is an outlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no sooner are the women finished than we, uh, and I was commentating with Steve Cummings, who we'll hear from a bit later, uh, we had to reboot and think about the men's race, which was already underway. Um, and a breakaway of six riders had formed and already crumbled and another break had formed and crumbled. And by the time we got live pictures, there were only about 20 riders left in the bike race. Um, and that group got smaller and smaller until eventually there were... Um, uh, there were none of the, I mean, very few of the really red-hot favourites for the race present in a, a six-man group that kind of got away. Um, Jakob Fulsang was probably, in terms of this race, had the most pedigree, uh, having finished second last year. He was in that group. Who else was in it? Davide Formolo, the, uh, who rides for UAE Team Emirates, of course, the Italian national champion, the climber, who was riding his first ever Stradibianchi. The other Italian uh, was Alberto Bettiol, who knows these roads uh, incredibly well. Uh, he's born in Poggi Bonzi, just down the road, and lives uh, just down the road from Siena, uh, the winner of last year's Tour of Flanders. That's three. Uh, then there was Max, Max Schachmann, who, of course, won Paris-Nice, David, the last race you and I commentated yeah. on before it all crumbled mm-hmm. to bits. He was in the group. Uh, and, 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 and who else was there? Who else was there? Uh, you had Betiol. Yeah, I've said Betiol. Um, oh, Wat Van Aert. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Oh, yeah. Wat Van Aert uh, was there as well as um, uh, Greg Van Avermaet. So, that, so it was a nice mix of different kind of riders. And it kind of divided into two mm. camps, really. You had, you had Fulsang and Formolo, who were, if you like, the, the, the kind of pure climbers in, in, the, in the pack. Then it had um, the classics guys. So it had Van Aert, cyclocross and classics kind of guys. It had Van Aert... Um, uh, uh, Greg Van Avermaet and Alberto Bettiol. And then it had Max Schachmann, who kind of sat in between the two camps because he's such a rangy rider. Um, he's kind of got both things in his locker. And he was the interesting one, the mm. German national champion that you kind of kept your eye on. And it was um, Fulsang who attacked on occasions. And Bettiol looked mighty strong. Uh, but it wasn't until on the final stretch of uh, gravel roads of the 11 different uh, sectors on Il Tolfe, that uh, Le Tolfi, I should say, that uh, Van Aert just threw down one enormous effort, broke the elastic and uh, blew the rest of the race up. And it was, um, it was awesome. So here's a guy who finished, who's, uh, who was competing his third, in his third Stradibianchi. Last year, he finished third. And the year before that, Tatish Benocci finished third as well. So two third places and then he turned it into first place. The difference being, uh, it's amazing to see how he's learned from, from, racing Stradibianchi because on both the previous occasions he was the guy who had to chase so he had to do this enormous effort just to get to the lead pair of riders uh, at just on the outskirts of Siena he's done that twice now and then of course paying for the effort he couldn't he couldn't do anything in the final this time he didn't want he didn't want to be in those that position at all so he went a lot earlier and when he went it was decisive and um much like Van Vluten, when he spoke after the race, uh, he was just brimming with confidence in his own ability. And he's an absolute weapon. Yeah, and when we see, I mean, just looking at the results, because I looked at it this morning and I was like, Christ, 10th place, 7 minutes, 45 seconds. I mean, it's decimation. So from Wout van Aert, even to, you had Formula and Schachmann, who are the closest, and they're at 30, 32 seconds. And then it just explodes. It's like, it's like the worst mountain stage 
in a grand tour yeah, only exactly. even worse <laughs> it's kind of it's it's pretty amazing that you see and that just really does go to show how uh, phenomenal the performance from Walt Van Aert was because and especially when we take into account a year ago he had the most horrendous crash at the Tour de France and it looked like a, it was going to be a proper battle to come back and it, no doubt it has been but to come back and do that yesterday that's um He's made his mark, and I think it's probably put... We've always got, amongst all this, you've got Matteo van der Poel, who's finished 15th at 10 minutes. And for without them actually provoking it, it's become this kind of battle between van der Poel and Wout van Aert. And oft, van der Poel often comes out on top, but this is, a, this is really impressive. And you, sometimes you wonder whether a big crash like Wout van Aert had is a real reset button. And you do see riders come back sometimes better than they were before. Luke Rowe. Being a good case in point, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Th- thinking yeah. about that crash from Wout van Aert in the individual time trial in Poe last year, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember, David. Can mm. you remember? I think he was on on his way to setting the best time when he crashed. Yeah, he was. He was crush. He was crushing it at that point. Yeah, and yeah. So and he might have won that was... stage. So he might have. Yeah, it was going to be really close. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so yeah, I mean, and that's what's remarkable about the kind of the the depth that he has. It's um. So I do question whether, because this will be the first year he hasn't done a cyclocross season because of his injuries. He dabbled, he did one at the end, I think, at the last one. But uh, other than that, and that's why I mean, sometimes this force reset allows him to properly convert to a road rider. Whereas perhaps he didn't, wasn't giving himself that chance before. Yeah. And so you never know. We might see something from Wout van Aert. Well, we saw it yesterday. We might see actually, he's actually made a leap uh, rather than taking a step forward, and uh, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to watch now these next couple of months. And and um, assuming we do get a Tour de France that gets completed, um, what a what an asset for Jumbo Visma, you know, and there and there, you know, for Roglic and Dumoulin who are trying to win the bike race. Can you imagine? You know, I can just picture it in my mind that you know a Roglic or a Dumoulin have a mechanical on a flat valley road, mm. and and the the situation has to get rescued. Well, stick him on the front. Do you remember those? You know, do you remember those enormous leadouts he did for Dylan Grunewagen in the first week? I remember. I think there was that, but there was also the fact that we then saw him being such an incredible, as you said, asset, domestique, uh, helper, uh, loyal teammate to his GC riders yeah. in some pretty extreme situations. And I, and as you say, I think that's one of the most amazing things with him. No, he's not a high mountain climber. Well, we don't know uh, yet properly, but he can get over some pretty big hills, mountains. He can handle crosswinds. He can descend. He's clearly, um, he's got the right attitude in the sense that he's willing to give up his chances because we saw that over and over again last year as well. He was giving up his own chances on stages to help his team, the the, the higher cause, if you like. So yeah, I agree. I think for Jumbo Visma, that's, uh, it's very rare. You have a domestique because that's what he will be. He'll be given opportunities who is actually a winner. Yeah. And he's one of the many reasons, Wat Van Aert, why Peter Sagan will never win another bike race. <laughs> yeah, well, don't know what happened. true. I mean, I don't know what happened to Sagan yesterday. I haven't read enough reports or scoured the news websites to actually f- figure out whether or not, you know, he had a bit of misfortune or mechanical or a crash. Or not. I mean, because there were a lot of crashes yesterday. Julian Alaphilippe yeah. had six punctures. <laughs> so, I mean, so don't read anything. Wow. Don't read anything into Alaphilippe's non-presence in the selection at the front. 
um, because yeah, there's yeah. a reason for that. You know, so I, I think he might be going. Yeah, he still finished 24th at 15 minutes, yeah. which is, yeah. you know, with six punctures. And that, that also goes to show his tenacity yeah. and the fact that riders like him and Gilbert, even though they're not in the race, they'll go as deep as they can because they consider this training. Uh, and that's what the, the big champions do. Their, their ego isn't uh, big enough for them to then just have to pull out because it's gone bad. They'll uh, they'll push through to make sure they get what's required to then improve in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. There was a notable performance just before we leave Stradibianchi alone um, that, that I didn't manage to sort of mention in my little wrap up of the race. But Zdenek Stubar, who won the race in 2015, and again cyclocross background, um, he was he was the best placed of the Dakonic Quickstep riders. He has never in five participations, well six now, he has never finished outside the top seven in that bike race. Um, he is wow. Mr. Consistent, and he was he was the rider who was kind of placed in checkmate by the race because he was in a little three-man group who were trying to get across to the six-man group, and he very nearly did, and he did it all on his own with Brent Bookwalter and uh, Michel Gogol sitting on his wheel. Um, but Stubar did it all, and he closed the gap that from about one minute 40. He, he brought it right back down to about 50 seconds, 45 seconds, and then the attack started in the front group and he couldn't do anything about it. But he nearly made the junction. And that was, a, that was just one of those kind of like hugely impressive, courageous rides that was yeah. pretty much you know, doomed to failure. But it was, it was, it was worthy of note because it was a, it was a great effort. Um, I, I yeah, have sorry. one last question, actually, just before, because um, I didn't watch the, the race in the end. Yep. But what, what was it like? Did it change your excitement uh, of watching the race with no crowds in Siena? No, not at all. Was there a different atmosphere? That's what I find fascinating. And that's going to be a really interesting case study to what is bike racing. Did, I saw reports afterwards that people were saying it's one of the greatest Strada Bianchi's they've seen. Yep. And yet nobody's commenting, commenting on the fact that, oh no, it didn't feel the same with no crowds. I mean, but I've been saying this for months. I don't, I don't think, yeah. I don't think it matters. I think, I think road racing is extremely yeah. resilient. You know, if you consider a bunch mm. sprint, I mean, okay, all right. So you'll miss the big scenes of the Pyrenees of the Basque fans and that, you know, da, 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 that mm. won't be there, but you won't notice that they're not there. It's only later that you'll go, oh yeah. Um, but, but, you know, if you take a bunch sprint finish in a Grand Tour, the crowds are a complete irrelevance. They're totally, yeah, I mean, maybe not, actually, to, I don't know. They just get, get in the way. They just get in the way, you know, you don't, it's not, you're looking at the race. Waving like big hands <laughs> in the faces. <laughs> no, that's a very good point. Um, it was only afterwards sort of looking at, you know, people's pictures mm. as they filtered through social media. Brian Nygaard posted a wonderful picture from Peloton magazine. Um, I don't know who the photographer was, but hats off to them, whoever they were who took it, of Van Art on might the Jim. J- I don't uh, might be Jim Starr. I know he does a lot for Peloton. Uh, well, well, if it's Jim, well done. If it's someone else, well done. Uh, it's a picture of Van Art on his own on the Via Santa Catarina, which is normally kind of like, you know, the crowds are eight deep either side of the, the, the actual race mm. route. And um, it's empty. You know, that, that, that the entire street is empty and yeah. very steep. And mm. Van Art, it's, I think it's the first time that he dares to look round to see where, um, where the rest of the race is. And he's just looking back. And uh, he's looking back at nobody and nothing. And he's on his own. Uh, just about to win. We'll put a there. link. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to that picture yeah. on Peloton in the in the show notes. You'll have to do that. I, I haven't got so a clue how to do that. Sort I'll, of thing. I'll, technical. I'll do that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So we're rambling on a bit here because we've got plenty to pack in. But um, let's just. It's worth noting just how much racing is going on now and how much we can look forward to, God willing, that it all actually happens. Because a, a fantastic edition of Welter Aborgos just came to an end, um, which we now have to call. The, the Remco Evenepoel race because he won the Queen stage and he answered, you know, that last 
sort of significant question about Remco Evenepoel. He put it to bed, David. Can he mm. win on a long-form climb? And uh, the answer is yes. He put 50-plus yeah. seconds into riders like Richard Carapaz. I mean... Yeah. He's he, he's a monster, and and when you take into account on, on the first stage, this is why Remco Evenepoel is is you used the word outlier before regards Van Vluten. Uh, Remco truly is as well, and what, what we see on stage, and this is what's brilliant, and this is why he can he will become a star, is on stage one when he's there to prove that he can do the Queen stage, and and as you said, put that to bed. He still can't help himself with 50Ks <laughs> to go on a flat stage. He attacks on his own. Did he? I didn't and see spends that. And he spends 30Ks off the front on a flat stage in the final, just and which he's ripping up the rule book. Anyone else, any other young rider that was there to prove themselves, who's already been touted as a favourite for the Giro, would have just been hiding in the peloton with their team. And he can't help it. There's crosswinds, it starts to kick off, and he rides everyone off his wheel and spends 30Ks off the front on his own <laughs> on stage one and gets caught with 15Ks to go. And you're just like, you're a madman. <laughs> and then he goes and still destroys everybody. And he's 20 years of age. He's won the Classic of San Sebastian. He's won the Belgium Tour, the Tour of the Algarve, San Juan this year. And now, and they get better, <laughs> don't they? The, the races get more prestigious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now the best, the best uh -huh. of them all, Vuelta Burgos, which is, you know, for those of you who don't know, the Vuelta Burgos is a little bit like the Dauphiné, what the Dauphiné is to the Tour de France, mm. in some ways, Burgos is to the Vuelta. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was packed with talent because everyone, everyone mm. wants to race everywhere all the time yeah. now. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's a, a massive performance and there's so much more to come. He is racing the Giro um, and he might win the Giro. He might win the Giro, let's see, um, which would be just truly extraordinary. Um, mm. Peter Sagan is also racing the Giro. So I'm, raining, I'm rolling back my prediction about him. I've suddenly got cold feet about my prediction that he's never going to win another bike race because I'm not sure how strong the competition is going to be for him. Oh, there you go. At the There's also there might be the, there, there might be the sense because he is <laughs> he does feel quite Italian <laughs> and but he's he, you know he he really does and he and I think it's the first time he's going to the Giro and maybe it will just give him the motivation he wants to actually kind of actually go and prove himself in his kind of his adopted home country. Yeah. Because uh, you know what, I wouldn't put it past him just finding digging. Yeah, he will wedding. digging deep and and and, and lighting the, lighting the flame once more for kind of just to just to go and have fun and show off. But my stat that I've been telling everyone who cares to listen is that so far Border Hansgrohe have they've been outstanding this year. They have won mm. thirteen bike races with five different riders, none of whom are called either Peter or Sagan, which is a, a, well, it's an unusual position at best for Sagan to find himself in because he's been their winning machine for years, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is going to be interesting to see. The other race that has got underway, and it's Sunday today when we're recording this, and um, it's stage two will start in a few hours, is the Route d'Occitanie, which uh, normally kind of comes and goes in the season with, you know, French newspapers writing about it and nobody watching it on television. And um, yeah, it's a perfectly venerable race, but it doesn't normally get the start list that it's been treated to this year. Most notably, um, Team Ineos have decided that uh, they're going to try the legs of their three uh, Tour de France winners. Egan Bernal, Geraint Thomas and Chris Froome are all there, <laughs> In, which is kind of intriguing. You'd have thought they would have kept themselves, you know, going different paths, but they're all there. Um, what do you think? Yes. What do you think about the froome willy Wonty situation? I mean, I know that I think we all want to see him there, but realistically, mm. do you think he's going to be there? 
Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, what I do know, uh, it, and it's been proven in the last decade, uh, Team Ineos uh, are pragmatic. They're, they're not romantic. They will take, uh, it will be done off numbers. It will be done off performances. It will be quantifiable data. There, if, for sure, if he's good enough and he's battling with two or three other riders that are hitting same numbers or slightly beat him, then I think they take him for the experience and the fact that he can has proven to be able to improve in a three-week stage race. But they, I think he'd be going... I think he's going to be fighting for a, for a strong lieutenant role rather than a winner role. Because uh, So I think that unless something... Unless he proves himself crazy, uh, crazily in the next couple of weeks, which he's going to have to do to some degree, uh, it's going to be... It's going to be tough for him because I think with Bernal, Geraint, even Sivakov, who's supposed to be flying, you know they've got they've got this insanely leaders. They've got a spread of leaders who are, who are nailing it, I think, and who I imagine will want to show that in the next few weeks. Now, if they don't, uh, and Chris Froome is escalating rapidly on form and showing his usual ability to absorb and and optimize and just get improve, then I think he'll be in the picture. But at the moment, I'd say it's very much on the fence. Yeah. Um, here's something I go on to discuss with Steve, actually, Steve Cummings, in the, in the interview that we're going to run. Um, but I'd be interested in your thoughts as well. Um, that that we, what we don't know. We know, I think, probably that the Tour de France will start. But I don't think we're certain that it'll finish. And I've been scrabbling around to try and figure out what the regulations are in terms of when is the result declared a result. Like, you can't have two stages of the Tour de France and then call, call it off and then say, well, so-and-so won the Tour de France. But, but you might have 10. That might be, yeah, con- might you know, so, so, so it's a really yeah. interesting point that um, and Gilbert alluded to it in an interview saying it, it, it'll change the way some teams race, you know, because that, 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 well, that yellow jersey on stage what? six or seven might, might end up being the win. Well, it's just it's it's got Alaphilippe's name written all over it, then hasn't it? Yes, you've got a race like he did. You've got a race like he did last year, where it, and all the and this is actually a, I hadn't thought of that till now, because all of these teams use this uh, as part of the cycling lexicon now. Next to super everything, is <laughs> day by day. Yeah, but the day by day for for Grand Tour races is normally they race defensively. Now, actually, if if th- that is and it's an absolute. Uh, truth that the race could stop at any time you've got to race day by day for the win so that brings there's, that, there's so, no that, holding no, back. so that brings me back to chris froome right yeah so if you're ineos and you leave him out well you stick him in the team and you say all right to some extent froome you're a free spirit you're a free electron mm. and you can attack from the gun <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't be the worst thing for ineos to, to allow him to do that get the first yellow jersey no, and then and then for the other two contenders or favorites to sort of slipstream on that Possibly. i don't see i don't think i think everyone's going to be so um strong fresh motivated that no breaks it's going to be really hard for breaks surprise breaks to go yeah it's not going to be difficult for team when you've got teams like jumbo visma ineos de Kernink, uh the list actually goes on there's a lot of U- bloody good teams. uae they can UAE. They can just shut the race down, at, and they will have to in order to do that style of racing day by day. We can't let anybody get up the road because we don't know if this race is going to be three days. No, well, there's no buffer in this year's tour. Yeah, everything's got to be shut down all the time, and so we'll turn into which 
could be when it's one team doing it it's very we always claim it's boring but when you have all teams racing in that way it's like all of a sudden you every race is a one-day race and it could make it extremely exciting and horrifically demanding yeah because that could mean you get into the last because we we know how hard the last week is and with the plateau debate time trial and the penultimate day everyone will be on their hands and knees by that final week Planche de and so that's when Planche de Belfi, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, Planche de Belfi rhymes with Plateau de Bay. It does a bit. Sort of. <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, only about uh, a thousand kilometres up the country, but yeah. yeah just the opposite <laughs> side, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think that, I, I, that isn't something that I had considered. And it's true, it will change the, the very nature of the race. Although there is a part of me that thinks Philippe already changed the nature of the race last year. And we'll just see, see more of the same. Yeah. Which would be great for us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I, I had real trepidation about the restart. And I still do to some extent. We do have to, it's a delicate project. You have to treat it, you have to th- give thanks for every day mm. of racing that's completed. Mm. Um, yeah. but, uh, but actually now I'm at, at a bike race and I'm kind of seeing it with my own eyes and smelling the air again. I, I do feel like it's, um, I feel genuinely engaged with it, you know, and I'm thrilled by the prospect mm. of all this racing to come. It's really, really exciting. Including, so today's stage of the Route d'Occitanie uh, finishes, David, mm. and it's a name that whenever I see it written down, I go ding, and it brings back vivid memories to me. Cap Découverte, that um, ridiculously exposed mining, it's a mine shaft, wasn't it? Or some kind of, mm. I can't remember what it was anyway, yeah. but um, I, it, straight away I think of 2003 and the individual time trial on the Tour de France where um, oh, yeah. Armstrong, in the three years I covered Armstrong's tours, it was the only weekday I saw from Lance Armstrong. And mm. it was properly weak. Yeah. He bonked. He, 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 uh, I don't know whether he's dehydrated or he hadn't fed properly, but he, had a, he suffered terribly. And 2003, if you remember, was that intense heat wave. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it in was France. crazy. It was a record-breaking heat wave. I remember it well. But, but France mm. is now uh, having the same heat wave, uh, kind of similar sort of uh, conditions. And I just thought, I, I suddenly remember, oh, of course, David was in that race, and you would have been mm. amongst the favourites to take the, the win that day. What happened? I can't remember where you finished, and I can't remember how you fared. I was, I was coming down sick uh, at that point. I started to get bronchitis, so that I came into that tour flying, best I'd ever been. Uh, and then after a week, and I went through so much stress those first few days with my team because my chain came off, mechanical issues. I, I got into quite intense. I had sleepless nights trying to remove the team manager and do <laughs> pretty bad stuff. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and um. I ended up getting sick about a week in. And so I went into that time trial as a favorite, absolute favorite, because I just crushed everybody in the prologue, but my train had come off and I was crushing everybody at that, in that year in time trials. And I think I've, I might have scraped in the top 10, I'm not sure. But I, and that was when I was like, oh no, I've got myself sick. And then I spent the next week just in a bronchitis hell. And then I came out of it again because I was healthy enough to, to come out of it and was won the final time trial. But um, but yeah, I remember that day. And I remember, if I, I got still this image in my head. And this is where, and this was kind of marginal gains back then. And we, f- we kind of forget this about, I think, was he, what's, was he Bianchi that year? Yeah. Ulrich? Yes, he was, yeah. Yeah. Co- yeah, ba- Bianchi. Oh, oh uh, no, sorry, sorry, he, he wasn't. He was still with Coast. T- it was still T-Mobile, wasn't it? It's still t- yeah, 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 it was still T-Mobile, yeah. you're right. Um, so it was T-Mobile. And they'd found a local shop and he was warming up inside an air-conditioned shop. Ha. And and I saw that, and I was like, yeah, okay. And Lance didn't. And as he said, it was like 40 degrees. And everybody was just nuking left. I didn't even warm I didn't. I tended not to warm up when it was that hot. 
and especially with the longer time trial. So I was fine. I just sat in air conditioning and then just got out and got on my bike, which is what <laughs> I, I generally did. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> so I was like, why am I going to know? But it was just genuine. It was like, I don't, yeah. it's like, it's not, because uh, I think whereas Lance did his normal protocol of like a 40 minute warm up uh. and kind of in 40 degrees. And so I think he'd probably lost a kilo and a half before he even started. Yeah. So it was just a, a rare error from Lance. And hence why he was then still so good as the race went on. Because it wasn't a lack of fitness. It was just an absolute... It was a schoolboy error, which he never did. And uh, so that's where Yang got the upper hand on that one. Wow. Yeah, uh, gr- I remember uh, that. Great memory. Yeah. I, me, while you were doing that, I was trying to... With the television cameras, I was trying to um, fry an egg on the tarmac at the finish line. <laughs> I cracked... I cr- They're bolting the early years <laughs> on tour. <laughs> Literally... Literally, yeah. uh, there was an amazing time trial going on, and I was messing around with an egg, trying to trial it, and I cracked it on the tarmac. <laughs> I cracked it. <laughs> it was the least spectacular bit of television you'd ever see. Uh, I cracked this egg, and it kind of like it didn't exactly fry. It just like over the period of about ten minutes, it turned vaguely white. You know, it was terrible television. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good I think oh, I, also, I, I think I'm right in saying that the other random thing that happened that day was Arnold Schwarzenegger was at the finish line <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the, Armstrong, the Armstrong years were full of stuff oh, like that you, they, were, they were amazing what are you doing yeah. there Tom Cruise yeah. you know yeah. and then of course yeah. Robin Williams ben was always Stella. there Robin Williams was always there Cheryl Crow Cheryl Crow <laughs> yeah <laughs> who we kept calling Shirley <laughs> we couldn't remember her name <laughs> anyway um, oh, happy days happy days uh, right, so listen, I'm going to play an interview now that I pre-recorded, just because um, we, we uh, whatever it was back in the autumn last year, the winter last year, I can't remember, but Steve Cummings kind of like chose our platform to announce his retirement. Um, he is now fully retired, and he's been joining me commentating for the World Feed and the Italian races, and um, I thought it'd be nice for our listeners just to sort of catch up with him again and um some of what you're about to hear because we recorded it just before the racing started yesterday some of what you're about to hear is a bit superannuated because we try and predict who's going to win (laughs) stradibianchi and obviously get it wrong um but uh, there's some other little discussions which i think will be of interest so here is steve-o right so um sitting in il campo piazza del campo in the middle of siena in the blazing sunshine it's completely empty pretty much i'm exaggerating but not massively exaggerating very very few people here should be absolutely rammed but it's not um and in around about a couple of hours time the women's edition of strada bianchi will be uh, rolling in here with probably annemiek van vluten in the rainbow bands chucking her arms in the air um we shall see and um, a couple of hours after that, the men will be coming in with, who knows, Julian Alaphilippe uh, winning the race. Uh, but listen, I'm hopeless in making predictions, so I won't bother. Either way, in about an hour and a half's time, Steve Cummings, uh, who's sitting alongside me, will be joining me for World Feed Race Commentary. Um, Steve, first time, we've, first, time, first time we've commentated together. I guess you must be, must be thrilled and looking forward to the prospect. I'm excited, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit nervous, actually. Uh, it's all new, isn't it? You've got to prepare, clear your mind, and try and do a good job. But uh, I'm looking forward to it, Ned. You've been like, you've been going out of your tiny mind trying to find out how many meters of climbing there are in both the men's and the women's race, and like, and agonising over whether or not you just go with what we think it might be rumoured to be. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an essential part, essential bit of information that I can't seem to... Maybe it's me, maybe I can't find it, but I've looked in all the obvious places and it's not there, but it's uh, it's kind of crucial knowing how many metres of climbing the riders have to do because uh, it sort of gives you a bigger idea of who is capable of what, perhaps. But as the form book's kind of empty at the minute, we don't really know, but um, still, pedigree tells us, gives us an idea of who will be there and who won't be there, maybe. Maybe, maybe or maybe not. We had dinner last night and I was saying to you that it would have been this kind of weird compacted season that sort of reboots at the beginning of August would have been, you'd have really relished it, wouldn't you? You'd have had a right crack at it. Yeah, I think so. I think I I was a good trainer, so um, I was pretty confident to come off very little racing, find my rhythm quite quick and uh, get into it and just get stuck in really but yeah it's it's really weird sitting here now in this blazing heat in August watching what sometimes you know it's been under threat because of snow here in in, in, in recent years so yeah and it adds a different totally different dynamic it's going to be super super hard I mean it's already everyone knows how hard the race is but just with the heat it's I think it's 37 degrees and with a real feel of 41 um, <laughs> and yeah I mean uh, riders I, I guess Everyone's highly trained and highly tuned and ready to go, but um, adapting to the heat, you know, it can take uh, some riders longer than others. So, yeah, if we had a form book, it would go out the window, but we don't have one. So, <laughs> <laughs> you always quite like racing in the heat, don't you? I think. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I did. I loved it. I loved racing in the heat. I felt like it was an advantage, but I think that was because I lived in this area and you feel the temperature. I felt like once I was adapted, um, there wasn't anything in Europe really that got any got much hotter than this so I always felt like I had an advantage over other people I don't think I went any faster I just think I didn't really slow down because I, I was ad- adapted to it how have you adapted to not being a professional bicycle racer still adapting still adapting <laughs> it's an ongoing process it's ongoing um yeah it's it's good it's good it's you know it's coming that's the only th- sure thing about a like professional athletes sooner or later you have to retire but you don't I, I didn't really plan for it so um yeah it's challenging but it's uh, an opportunity to do other things that i couldn't do so it's nice i'm enjoying what it. do you mean you didn't plan for it you've got loads of you, you know you're doing your course aren't you you've, you've got like little adve- yeah i can't some of them are embargoed i can't even talk about them but you've got really exciting plans for the next few years and um uh you've got loads going on yeah and you're working here yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot going on. I just haven't got a job. You know, I've got lots of little bits and bobs, and uh, it'd be good to find a job and then do the bits and bobs as well. But um, yeah. and it's hard because I don't. I guess it's the first time in my life where I don't really know what I want to do. So it's 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 nice because it gives you an opportunity to explore. But at the same time, I wake up and I have a little wobble, and I'm like, "What am I doing? What you know? Am I doing the right thing?" And yeah, you just got to keep trying new things and seeing what you like, and what you can do, what you what you maybe not so good at. And, move forward and I guess a global pandemic isn't exactly what the doctor ordered so to speak in your first year of sort of finding out who you are but then again no one in planet earth has been unaffected by uh, what's been going on over the last few months let's just park that and not dwell on that anyway um I remember when David first you know stepped out of being a professional racer and he went straight into the media and you know joined us on ITV pretty much immediately and I know because he told me that how difficult he found it to be around the bike race uh, initially um i know we haven't had you know a great deal of contact with the with the races since we've been in in uh, siena the last 24 hours but does it feel 
uncomfortable to you to be on this side of the barrier, so to speak, or, or, or are you actually quite relishing not being out on the, on the bike? Uh, I don't know. I, I had a little taste of it. So I'd had a taste of it before when I was injured. I did some TV work and sat this side of it. Um, but yeah, it is a bit weird coming back and um, being on a different side of it. Yeah, just get used to it, don't you? But I just think, like you say, talk about before about the pandemic and things like that. It's just, it's totally thrown a curveball in everything, really. So just <laughs> you do what you, you do, what you do, don't you? you do what you can and uh, try and enjoy it. There is a sense. I mean, we've spoken to so many people here in Siena. Well, I have anyway. I've been kind of hanging around the start of the women's race and talking to folk, and um, there is this kind of like slight feeling that you have to take every step. Hi, Anna. It's all right. We're just doing a podcast here, but we'll be finished. And can't talk to me. Okay. Hello, Anna. <laughs> um, there is a sense that everybody associated with the peloton, both the men's and the women's, are just going at one day at a time. Because you can't, honestly, you can't look, you know, Sylvain Dillier tested positive just, just before the race started. And you can't really look beyond that in this crazy season, can you? Yeah, I think I read an article with Gilbert just saying exactly that, really. Just one race at a time. And if, if the riders approach the races like that, it's going to be, like, really exciting. Because it's like no one's going to leave anything anything on the road for, for next week or for, the, for a month after. You know, it's all going to be sort of trying to get the best performance they can as quick as they can because it's just so uncertain what's happening but uh, so it makes it really exciting I think we were wondering we were wondering actually and I'm not, I'm not sure we've got the answer to it although I've heard a theory it's over 50% is the answer but when is a grand tour a grand tour and when is it just an aborted race like how many stages do they have to complete of the Tour de France before it becomes a result because in football which is your other great passion I think it's 70 minutes isn't it something like that oh, I have no idea I, d- I don't know who knows? Um, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? If uh, well, it, it's already kind of happened a few times, like last year at the tour, the, the stage was cut short, and that could have changed the outcome of the whole tour. You know, like, no one will ever know, but it could have. And then some years ago in the year, I remember stages getting cancelled left, right, and centre. So, but yeah, to think about losing a week or ten days—that's like a fundamental part of the part of the race. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They're going to need to be clear about that, aren't they? They're going to have to lay out a protocol and tell everybody, you know, yeah. if, if only six stages have been raced, it's not a result. But if ten have, it is a result or something. There's going to have to be a very clear marker. Well, you would hope so. You'd hope, you'd hope for a bit of clarity on that because that will change how people race things. You know, sometimes in the past, in, in the early stages of a Grand Tour, a team, I don't say gives the jersey away, but is happy for someone else to have the jersey, knowing that that person won't go the full three weeks and um that's not gonna that's not gonna be the case if the, the race could stop after 10 days so so you could so i'm thinking i'm really hypothesizing it you could almost the stronger teams with multiple leaders could almost have two teams like effectively on the road so all right let's go back to ineos and their potentially three-headed attack right which probably won't happen but let's just imagine it does you could have a chris Froome first half of the tour and then, and then Thomas and Ben, I'll take over just as, a, as an insurance policy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Plan A and Plan B, but Day B doesn't work like that. He'll just have Plan A. So, whatever when the rules are set, he'll just work towards those rules. But like I say, I don't think. Yeah, but if it, no, but Steve, if they if if they say right, we expect the race to finish. Yeah. We're, we're planning on a three-week stage race, but we need to be clear that ten stages have to be completed, and we declare a result. That would in itself create a dynamic where you would want to be the tenth 
yellow jersey of the tour because you could you could win the race on that on that day that's a good point but I just think it comes back it comes back to what I was saying before really about teams sometimes teams don't want the control of the race early on so they're happy for someone else to have the lead whereas if if the race could be stopped after 10 days I don't think that'll apply so it'll just change the whole those sometimes those breakaways in the first week or 10 days that go with good riders but not GC favourites to take the, the take the jersey um, that won't happen they just won't let it happen the Ghent yeah that kind of that kind of thing someone someone like that who um, I think Van Avermaet the other year he took, took the jersey didn't he after a few stages in the break I just don't think that they'll let that happen There'll just be more people paying attention to whoever's close on GC, you know. It, it will make it more aggressive in the first 10 days and it will probably put a bigger onus on those GC teams. So p- potentially that could have a knock-on effect then in the final, you know, yeah. if, if, they had to, if they had to do more work and stuff like that. But I think they've got the strength in depth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's massively intriguing, isn't it? Anyway, there's one thing I want to ask you about. I'll come on to that in a second. But before we leave professional bike racing alone, um, as I say, we haven't started commentating yet on either the men's and the women's race. Do you think I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you go on record with some predictions here that when people listen to this podcast, they will know already how wrong you were or how right you were? Van Fluten, is she going to win? I'm going to go for the. Um, can't pronounce her name now. You caught me. What's it? Yadama, that's a hard one to get. Yashin Yevyadoma. Yevyadoma. Why is that? Why is that? What's the thinking there? She's just always on the podium. So, and when someone's always so close, I don't know. I guess out of hope, I'd love to see her win. You know. Fair enough. Yeah. Men's race. Uh, Ala Philippe. Yeah, you stuck. To, to be fair, you said that last night over dinner, and you haven't changed. Yeah. Normally, I would have had about six or seven different versions of my prediction by now, but you're sticking with that one, aren't you? Yeah, I think he's kind of small. Well, he is. He's small, so that, that, you know, like a bigger guy, might the heat effect might, might might affect him more. He's been here a week, I think, already, so he's obviously taking it seriously. A week's probably enough time for a, a rider like him to adapt to the heat, and he's just like good bike handler, punchy on these kind of climbs. And I don't know if it is like they say it is three and a half thousand meters climbing. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, I think it's yeah. I think I think Alaphilippe. Or you know, the only other one. Well, there's a few others, but. Loads of, there's loads of there's loads of Van der Poel but I, I don't know I'm not sure about him I, we, we were talking weren't we about, about how the, his, his legs just fell off in Yorkshire at, yeah. at, at the moment when you least expected it and it was so sudden wasn't it yeah just I think I think in the end we sort of we were discussing that we sort of came to the conclusion he must have just run out of fuel really because the way it went it wasn't like a gradual it was just like bam yeah. and he went so yeah he's probably taken learnt from that and but this race isn't as long anyway, you know, so 180k, so four and a half hours they'll be done probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any dark horses, any little cheeky outsiders? Like, yeah. don't, don't pinch my one, because I, I... I'm going to go Betty Ol. Okay, I wasn't going to go Betty Ol. Yeah. Uh, just, he's, he's local, you know, he's not that far away. And, uh, born in Podgibons or Podgibonzi, Podgibonzi. I don't know where he's born, but he lives in Castel. I'm telling you, he's born in Podgibonzi. Okay. okay, Castel Fiorentino. He lives, so it's yeah. not that far. Um, so he trains a lot in this area, and for sure he'll be passionate about this race, like all these Italians. Well, I like everyone, I guess. Yeah, yeah but he's not going to win. Um, 
uh, my cheeky outsider was Dylan Toons. Do you like that? Uh, I do, but I just I, I don't know whether he takes a little bit more racing to really get going, Dylan. You talk, you talk me out of it. Yeah, yeah, from just what I've seen. But <laughs> like I say, there's no form book at the minute, so it's quite hard to make. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not one of those guys who ever really comes out into the season sort of flying. He's normally creeps into form after some races. Just going to consult my notes, actually, Steve. Oh, on, bear with me, bear with me. Dylan turns um, winner in 2020 of the individual time trial at the Ruta del Sol. Yeah. So, so what you're saying about doesn't really start that well into a season. <laughs> Was that stage four? Though? <laughs> <laughs> no, fair point. You talked me out of Dylan turns. Um, I was the other only other thing I thought was worthy of note in the start. Well, there's loads worthy of note, but I noticed how strong UAE were kind of across the board with Ulissi, Conti, uh, Rui Costa, who's just Rui Costa, isn't he? And then Tade Pogaccia as their kind of unknown quantity. Did you say Ulissi as well? Yeah. Um, and some other folks who are names I've forgotten already. Yeah, no, really strong, like solid team, isn't it? Like you, you'd expect or you, you'd think. A number of those would be in the final, but ultimately, is one of them strong enough to, to win? Yeah, potentially. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, there's, there's loads of them, isn't there? There's loads of uh, outsiders. Um, Alicia, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he went really well. He's yeah. Tuscan, isn't he? He lives down on the coast somewhere. Yeah. So it's kind of a local race for him as well. Him and Conti are really similar, aren't they? In the kind of the way they race, I've always thought. No? You're frowning like you disagree? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of similar. I think um, Conti's a little bit more climbing specialist, perhaps. And Elise's a little bit, you know, he's he's always up there in one days, isn't he? Like um, in Canada and stuff like that, he's pretty good. Oh, the Canada races. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, ever watched any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're really good races, actually. Um, so if you ever get a chance, you should watch it. <laughs> Greg Vadava, Matt's f- last victory, came in the Grand Prix Montreal. Anyway, we're just babbling on now, aren't we? Um, what did I want to say to you? Oh, yeah, right. So social media revealed four former British national champions in their respective jerseys. You, Blythe, uh, Matt Stevens, and Sir Bradley Wiggins um, going off on some sort of adventure. What was that all about? I don't know, it was, a, it was a gig for Chapter 3. It was a gig for Chapter 3. They, they, it was like a friend's ride, really. We, um, I don't know, I guess it, for me it was like Adam called me and he said, would you like to come for a ride? And I said, oh, I love the idea of this. We were just going, we had like little bags under the seats uh, and off we went. We we met Stuart Clapp at his place, um, South End. So me and Adam actually left Adam's at, at f- half past four in the morning and then we drove to Stewart's and then we were on the bike around ten. We rode an hour, an hour and a half. Um, got on a boat, well, we were supposed to get on the boat but the boats were all under service and we were just kind of hanging around like lost like lost souls thinking, bloody hell, we've got to go to Dartmoor. It's a bit of a dog leg. <laughs> and then uh, we met the owner of the of like the shipping company or whatever the... And he said, "Oh, I'll, I'll give you a lift because he recognised Bradley, I think." So um, we all, despite the fact that Brad's so clearly in disguise at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's subtle. Yeah, so he's, we, so we, they took us over, right over there. So, so we all we loved it, and uh, we 
not only were we up on time, we were also up on budget, so we went straight to the pub, <laughs> had a few drinks, and then uh, we sort of then we started doing a few gravel sections. We had a few punches, um, and yeah, it, a few more pub stops because I don't know. We just just went like that. We went through fields. We went we went through all sorts, and in the end, we ran out of inner tubes, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Niall, Niall ended up like exploding foam all over him. You know the foam you put inside the tire, so he's covered in foam. And he ended up, he had to get a Uber, I think. And they're like, "Where are you?" I don't know where I am. <laughs> so we had someone had to find the coordinates because we were down this little lake. And, and he, and then uh, it was going dark, and we we got a bit lost again. Adam was navigating. We got a bit lost, and we ended up on the A22. Uh, and it's like. <laughs> It was like pitch black going down the A22. Luckily, it was... It was in your uh, national champion's jersey still, sort of thing? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Sometimes I'd take mine off. Mine was a bit flappy, so I'd take mine off for aerodynamic purposes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we were on the A22. And it, luckily, it'd been, uh, the traffic was down into one lane because it's a dual carriageway and it's a super fast road. And um, they were all shouting out the window, you're not a man! <laughs> you've got a deaf wish and all this kind of stuff because it was pitch black by this time. We went, we went on there long, and then we, yeah, and then we got to uh, Whitstable. Yeah, we went to Whitstable, stayed over. We had a curry. Well, we were all that tired because it. Well, you had a curry in Whitstable. Yeah, some of the best f- fish in the country, and you had a curry. <laughs> well, the idea was for, to have fish, but we just got there a bit too late. We had a curry, and I think we'd been on uh, the elapsed time of the bike ride was like twelve hours or something like that. But we only rode at like a hundred k. Well, no, I think it was a hundred. Yeah, hundred k we rode. Um, but it's just you know it's just oh it's just never stopped laughing and uh, really good um, really good route and then the next day we 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 went to bed after the we didn't drink any much more we were all a bit tired especially me and Adam we'd been up at four o'clock and then uh, went to bed and we kind of rode back straight straight down and no punches no oh we we still had to fix Bradley's puncher from the day before so we were like two hours behind schedule when we left. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. It was great fun. It's just just nice to enjoy the bike in a different way with with, with those people who you've raced with and uh, under like high pressure situations. I guess it's really nice. Great. It's mad that you've all retired, isn't it? All of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it is, it is, and there's going to be like a an influx as well because there's so many more now getting older. You you think it's going to go on forever, but eventually it stops and. Yeah, just I think it's important as well that we, we like as ex riders that you you take care of one another because it's not easy and um, stick together and they're, they're they're the people you're growing up with and sometimes it's hard to keep in touch with like your school friends and stuff like that. You just drift away because you're always away, but they, they are your friends, so it's good to make that effort to get together and and have a bit of fun and and uh, that that was really important. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So we do this today. And then you, and then I'm, I'm going to carry on in Italy, and I'm going to commentate on my own because you're buggering off. <laughs> I'm going to commentate on my own from Milano Torino, which is midweek next week, and then I'm going to see you again in San Remo, right? Yeah. And what are you doing in between now and then? I've got to go. I thought I was going to Stelvio, but I'm not. I'm going to that area as if I've got to do like a, a bit of filming for Met, the helmets. Uh, we're doing a video because they've got a new helmet coming out. Um, so that's two days filming. Then I've got to fly back to London then I've got to rent a car and drive up home 
dropped a car in Liverpool Airport. Someone's picking me up, and then the, the next day I'm driving my family down to Italy. So on the way down, I'll stop in with you and do some commentary in San Remo, and then we'll go to our place in Tuscany. Wait, what? You've got to drive from Liverpool to San Remo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right, something. What do you mean it's all right? Are you going to do it in one? You're not going to do it in one, are you? Yeah, probably. I normally do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just go... Because my daughter, she's five, so kind of leave... The best time, really, to leave is sort of later in the afternoon as well because you miss the traffic. You've got to time it so you miss the traffic. And also, she's only, a, she's only in the car a few hours then, so she doesn't get too bored. And then she f- has dinner, falls asleep, drive through the night. You all right, then? Good luck to you. <laughs> and good luck to you in the commentary as well, Steve-O. Um, I'm banking on you to know exactly how many metres of climbing there are. (laughs) Cheers, pal. Yep, so Steve Cummings uh, having to deal with, uh, co-commentating with me, the Paul Sod, uh, which David Miller has had to deal with for a good few years now. Um, So that's about it, David. We've gone on um, extensively. Let's try and do another one maybe after Milano-Torino. and then eventually, I suppose we're gonna we're gonna start commentating, aren't we? We're actually gonna start doing proper Dauphiné. telly. Yeah, Dauphiné in rather in rather um, uh, strange circumstances. In the sense, well, we don't of quite know. Work all that out. Yeah, we don't know whether we're going to be in a room mm. together, whether, whether mm. we're even going to be in the same country as each other mm. at the moment. So it's all a bit mm. up in the air. But I mean, that's mm. twenty. Technology is amazing, though. Yeah. Technology is amazing, and um, and mm. and then there's what ten days in between the Dauphiné and Le Tour, or something like that. 13 days. 13 days. 13 days. Um, uh, There we go. Um, Yeah. Have you got any chapter three kind of stuff? What are you all up to, chapter three? What's going on? Chapter three has been, yeah, it's been, I actually spent the last week shooting a a really good fun, actually, Um, shooting a little film for the launch of our next Brompton. The, the V3. So that's been, we did it in Barcelona with a, like a proper, really cool film crew from Barcelona because I wanted to do something different. So that's been good. Uh, and then lots of different things. I guess because with Chapter 3, I'm trying to expand it out into different uh, genres of cycling and disciplines. And with the Brompton and the commuting and the urban. And then I was out with Lachlan doing, Lachlan Morton doing gravel riding and I've been mountain biking and a lot of this is just my investigating all these different disciplines and just finding so much fun in all of them because having spent most of my life just being a road cyclist I really want chapter three to go in a direction where we can we can enter into any cycling domain and know what we're doing and respect it and and inspire and supply products for that area so at the moment it's been quite an enjoyable exploratory mission and especially seeing how cycling is just exploding anywhere everywhere it's like what we've always loved ned and what you've always advocated all of a sudden it seems a tipping point has been reached and other people are starting to 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 understand and realize what you've always personally preached regards the the power of the bike and and how good it is for for living and urban living and for environments and for your own kind of mental health i kind of uh, it, it's it's given me a great deal of hope uh, that perhaps even with chapter 3 we can we can be part of that movement and 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 do it in a way that's that's really it's it's right so yeah chapter 3 is in a really nice place at the moment it's challenging like everything but at the same time it, it's also uh, it's enjoyable. Can I just say, you? I found April in particular. Well, T.S. Eliot said it, didn't he? April is the cruelest mm. month. Um, mm. I found April. I was in quite a 
bad place in April. I think lots of, lots of us were. I was really struggling at times. And out of the blue, you sent me, you sent me a little package of <laughs> mostly chapter three socks. <laughs> and um, I've just, I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got about, I mean, you must have sent me 12 pairs. I've got about four pairs packed here with me in, in Italy. And I've just pulled a pair on to go running in because I always run in them. They're like 1980s kind of Tube athletic, socks. athletic socks, aren't they? They're brilliant. Completely. They yeah. are, they are, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not on your payroll or anything, so I'm under a no, no obligation no. to yeah, say this, yeah, but yeah. They, are, they are simply my favourite objects in the world. I genuinely oh. mean that. And every time I pull them on... I mean, because a good pair of socks is just one of the nicest things in the world. Isn't, isn't it? it? And, a, you know, and a good pair of socks, what, I, honestly, I get a warm... I, I, genu- I, I actually probably smile when I pull them on. I, I have to <laughs> film myself doing it. Involuntary smile. They're just yeah. the best things. I love them. You know how I had to fight so hard for, for, for us to do those socks? Because you know how the, you have all this thing in cycling called sock doping and everyone's got their cool socks. Yeah. And I was like, I never wear those socks kind of... I, I love, I've got this kind of nostalgic view of tube socks and sports <laughs> socks. And, and, uh, and so we ended up finding this place in Leicester. So they're made in Leicester in this it's kind of classic factory. And yeah, so those are kind of a quirky. And that's really what I want Chapter 3 to do. So just it's really lovely, creative things that, that do exactly what happened to you, where it makes you smile and rather than just have to take a po- picture and hashtag it and be part of a movement. It's about individual, individuality rather than fashion. I'm a big believer in that. So I'm pleased, Ned. That no, makes they're me great. Smile. They're great. They're yeah. great. They're great. What um, about you? What's going on with, um, with the, the road, road book? book? I, got well, t- it's, I got two here. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're deep into making the 2020 book, you know, and, and we don't know, obviously, we don't, we're, we're kind of assessing it. If all the races that, that we think are going to happen actually happen, which I think is probably unlikely, but um, if, all, if they all do, the, the book will still be, amazingly, the book will be close to 700 pages long. Whoa. Yeah, so, I mean, it probably won't be that thick, but it'll still be a sizable tone. Um, I, and I, I suppose, in a way, this is quite an opportunity to do something that hopefully will never happen again. Absolutely. Kind of, uh, so yeah. we we want we want to kind of like incorporate. I've got a few ideas. Some some little design features that just they're quite they're quite um, d- they're quite subtle, but they are distinctive and never to be repeated. So that the 2020 mm. book will sit beautifully alongside the, the rest of them as we go forward, but it'll stand out, you know, just slightly. Um, but I'm, I'm but as editor, I get to choose who writes for us, you know. So I've already commissioned. Yeah. I, I can't tell you the names, but I've commissioned writing already and had it delivered from. Um, two world tour riders, uh, one man and one woman. Uh, neither of them are British, um, or, or um, I, can't, I just can't tell you who they are. But I'm really excited about that. One of them is the most. <laughs> one of them is the most amazing story that I think we've ever, you know, printed. Um, mm. One of America, North America's top writers has already written for us. Um, a, a Dutch novelist is going to be writing for us, and um, and one of the, the best British um, cycling writers as well has been commissioned. I've got room for another sort of like four or five long form essays as well. And infographics are being developed about this enormously anomalous year and beautifully presented on the page and stuff like that. So, so that's all steam ahead, full steam ahead. And um, as I said at the beginning of the thing, there are amazing offers on our website now about sort of like building your collection and getting going with the uh, the 18 and 19 editions as well. So there we go. That's the, yeah, that's the advertising um, bit over. Well, I mean, it should probably, like, I think it's always because we can do this because I think we should be allowed to. So it's the, you get the two books if you go onto the website and you get the two books for, for £55 now, is it? Correct. That's it. 
which yeah. is like basically half price. So that's that's um, yeah. that's that's where we're at. And uh, you know, if you get the twenty twenty, but you're going to want to get the other two. And if you've got yeah. the other two, you're going to go. We're going to want to get the twenty twenty book. Oh, there we go. Um, awesome. Right. Okay. Let's regroup. I am going to spend tonight in Siena because I'm extremely fortunate. And then we're moving on to Turin. Me and my producer, and a couple of days off in Turin, and then Milano Torino. Milano so Torino. It's not a bad that's one of the oldest races, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, this edition of it doesn't finish up the Superga climb, which is disappointing. So it'll be a sprinty kind of race. Be interesting to see who turns mm. up and races it. So, very good. Nice right. to talk to you, David. Take care. Yeah, love you. See you, Ned. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 